my whole life, people have been trying to sell me short. But not his mother. Man, I could talk to you about my mother all day. When John Urschel was a boy, his elementary school wanted to hold him back a grade. I was pretty antisocial, and they thought something was wrong with me, and they thought I was mentally challenged. Thank God for my mother. I'm Michael Shoulder on this episode of Wavemaker Conversations, introducing the NFL offensive lineman who made headlines this week because of his heartfelt defense of the sport he loves and the subject he loves, mathematics. During four years playing football at Penn State, he earned a bachelor's and a master's in math with a 4.0 GPA before being drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. Before we introduce our guest, we have to give you a little background, uh, because many of you might have heard of the football player Chris Borland, linebacker at the San Francisco 49ers, 24 years old, uh, performing extremely well, extremely promising future in the NFL, and spoke to ESPN and announced that he was leaving football. He had done a sort of risk assessment of his life, uh, looked at the potential dangers of staying in football for a long period of time, and decided, in his words, I just want to live a long healthy life, and I don't want to have any neurological diseases or die younger than I would otherwise, again, assessing the risks of concussions on, on his health. Uh, then I come across on one of, one of my favorite new sports websites uh, that Derek Jeter actually started, the Players' Tribune, a piece by uh, our guest, John Urschel, who is an offensive lineman for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, and it was a response to Chris Borland. And the title of, of his piece, which has gotten a lot of buzz uh, for good reason, is Why I Play Football. So, John Urschel, uh, welcome to Wavemaker Conversations. Thanks for having me. So, first of all, just to bring the audience uh, who is not immersed in football and popular culture up to speed, uh, you read uh, Chris Borland was uh, somebody you competed against in college. Uh, you read his piece, and you wrote a, a, an explanation of why you, how you have calculated the risks you face as a football player and why you choose to remain in football, despite the fact that you have a very unique set of academic skills that would give you other options. Why do you play football? I'd say my piece was less a response to Chris and more of just me putting out there my personal reasons and my personal story with football and why I still play. And it's it's simple. I understand that I have a lot of talents Mathematically, I have a lot of other options other than football, but the main take-home of the piece is that I'm thoroughly in love with the game of football. It's something that I could not imagine not doing, and it's something that I couldn't possibly do without. And so reading your resume, uh, which is which is qu quite awesome, uh, you earned your undergraduate degree in mathematics at Penn State in three years, got your master's in your fourth year, all while maintaining a 4.0 GPA, which to me is a lot more impressive than the other stat, which is six foot three, 308 pounds. Uh, and I went to my elementary school daughter and told her about you and said, you know, what do you want to know from this guy, John Urschel? And she said, I want to know when he became really interested in math when he became and why he became really interested in football 
and at the moment, why he's choosing football over math. She's got some pretty good questions. I think she she could have a pretty good future in uh, in reporting. That's just my opinion. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's start with math. I've been good at math ever since I could remember, and even before I can remember, my mother would tell me stories about how mathematically inclined I was. She would tell me stories about how she would go to the store and she would buy me you know, little toys and little games to play with when I was very, very young. And the problem she had was she would always try to get me these these kind of quantitative type games, you know, when you're young, maybe you have the little blocks and you have to fit the right block through the right hole. And my mother would tell me that I was impossible to buy these toys for because she would get the toy home, she'd unwrap it, she'd give it to me. I, you know, I'd grab the blocks or whatever it would be. I'd solve the problem within 30 seconds to a minute. I'd do it. I'd push it to the side, and I'd never touch it again. I'd consider it, once I had done it once, I would consider the matter finished, and I would consider myself disinterested in it, is what she would tell me. This type of phenomena went on throughout my childhood, and I've always been good at math, but believe it or not, math isn't something that I've always loved I was very, very good at it, and I would always push myself to do well in math. I remember when I was in first or second grade, my mother would buy me math workbooks from fifth grade or sixth grade. When I was in seventh or eighth grade, I was studying calculus, and this is just how this went for me, and I enjoyed that process. And I enjoyed learning about math and reading about these things. But what I really did enjoy growing up was math class in school. This might have been one of my least favorite things. And I know this sounds counterintuitive, but the classes were dead boring and just not interesting. My math professors didn't like me very much when I was younger because I was the kid in the corner, not listening, not paying attention, staring off into space, and then getting the math exams they give and then scoring 100 on them. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't until university when I got here and I had the option to take whichever courses I wanted. I had the option to take, say, senior level math classes my freshman year or graduate-level math classes my sophomore year. There's no one there to stop me. So before we get into f to football then, uh, already I maybe, and I'm not a football player, but I'm, re I'm seeing a pattern here because those very first games your mother bought you, and I remember buying my kids those games, you fit the, sh the, you know, the, the blocks into the right size shape. You consider that math. Math is very visual, isn't it? Yes, math can be very visual. I consider math at a high level really to be an exercise in problem solving. And is football also an exercise in problem solving? Because people I know in football talk about the complexity of the playbooks and all these plays that you have to memorize and lineups and arrangements and then still be able to improvise 
Uh, are there a lot of similarities between math and football, or am I just reading into this? There, there are similarities, and yes, there's a lot to try to gather out of a playbook and to truly understand what's going on. But I'd be lying to you if I said that's the aspect of football that drew me to it or that I find that aspect of football particularly interesting. You, it sounds like you started to fall in love with math when it became a more extreme challenge. Is that correct? Yes. The parts of math that I loved when I was younger were the challenging parts that my mother would give me. I really did not enjoy math class from elementary school all the way through high school. It just wasn't an enjoyable experience for me. So your mother recognized this talent early on. And how about your father? Was was he clued into this as well? Uh, my, my father was clued in, but my mother is the woman who raised me. So she was the person who was really hands-on with me the majority of my time. I knew my father growing up, and he was a part of my life, but my mother was the person who really molded who, who I am. So you didn't like math class, but, but there were aspects of math that you loved and you found very easy, and you found ways, and your mother found ways for you to challenge yourself, it sounds like, independently of class. So at what point did you discover football, and at what point did you start loving football? I started playing football in high school, and I joined the team because my father had played football. He played football at the University of Alberta, and he actually had an opportunity to play in the CFL, the Canadian Football League, and decided to go to med school instead. So I guess, you know, when you're a kid, I looked up to my dad, and when I would visit his house, I would see, you know, photos of him playing football. So obviously I wanted to play. You know, it just occurs to me a, a lot of football players have come from disadvantaged families. I can't imagine in some ways a more advantaged family for uh, to, to raise a kid to accomplish great things. I mean, here your father had the option to play football, but was able and had the desire and did go to med school. You know, your mother is sitting there and looking at your talents and, tr and tr figuring out ways to feed that talent so that the talent can grow. Was there anything your parents did that wasn't right? <laughs> My mother did a fantastic job raising me. I had the best mother in the world, believe me. She sacrificed for me every single day and did everything she could to make sure I had more opportunities than her growing up. Well, what, what kind of opportunity? Where was she from and what kind of opportunities did she have or, or not have? Man, I could talk to you about my mother all day. I've, I've got stories about that. My mother, she grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. She grew up in a rough, rough neighborhood. And if you don't mind, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my mother's story because it's a story I love and I could talk about all day. Please do. So my mother goes to this very, very rough high school in Cincinnati. I'm talking metal detector type high school. And her parents, neither of them had gone to college. Her mother's a seamstress and her father works at GM. So blue collar family. And my mother's the top student in her high school. And it's her senior year. And she's talking to people. She's talking to her parents. 
And of course, her parents think, you know, don't go to college. College is overrated. It's fantastic that you're even getting your high school degree. That's, you know, that's better than a lot of your family members did. But, you know, college, it's not for you. You need to finish high school, go get a job. But my mom, she still has doubts. She's still thinking, maybe I want to go to college. But she doesn't know because she doesn't really know anyone that has a college degree. So she's not sure. So she goes and she does what most people would do. She goes and she talks to her guidance counselor at her high school. And she, she tells him, listen, I'm this fantastic student at this school. What should I do with my life? What should I aspire to be? Give me some direction. And the guidance counselor tells her that she should aspire to be a secretary. A secretary. Wow. Now, thankfully for me, my mother didn't listen to her parents, didn't listen to this guidance counselor who, man, if I could find him, I might have some words for him. She decides to walk to the local university, the University of Cincinnati, meets with an admissions officer and puts in an application to the University of Cincinnati, nowhere else. Well, I've got news for you. My mother got accepted to the University of Cincinnati, and she got a full academic scholarship. My mother became a nurse, later found her passion in law, and became a medical malpractice lawyer. And that is a story about coming from, really coming from nothing, not even having good examples in your life of what you should aspire to, what you should try to be. And my mother not limiting herself by what other people around her are doing or what she sees and holding herself to a higher standard. And she was the example for me growing up. Well, that's a pretty powerful example and and, and clearly explains a lot of why you're excelling in, at a very high level in these two very difficult disciplines, math and football. And by the way, if, if on this Wavemaker show, I can somehow in the future arrange a meeting, a conversation between that guidance counselor in high school and you, would you be open for a little conversation? I'm all about it. You can even, you know, fly us down, put us in the same, you know, radio room. I'm, I'm okay with that. Well, it's interesting because, because what, that has to do with something. Your mother has something that uh, uh, called, and, and I'm going to quote from somebody I interviewed just recently, a very well-known and influential professor at Stanford University uh, who's a, 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 a developmental psychologist. Her name is Carol Dweck, and she wrote a very popular book called Mindset. And I think you'll relate to this. And tell me what your reaction is to this. What what Carol Dweck did was about 40 years ago, she had, she was she was just out of graduate school, and she had these two groups of kids come into her office for a study, and she would give them puzzles to do. And when the puzzles got more difficult, there was one group of kids that would stick in there for the challenge, and they would actually express how much they loved taking on the challenge. Sounds like you were when you were a kid. And then there was another group of kids, they would totally fold. They would shy away from the challenge. They would leave the room. They did not want to fail. And she tried, and she set out in her life's work to figure out what creates the, the what she called the growth mindset kind of kid who thinks, if I just work hard enough, I might be able to get there versus 
the fixed mindset kid, this is Carol Dweck's terminology, which is I'm either smart or I'm not. I'm either talented or I'm not, and I'm not gonna take on any challenges that might prove or indicate that I really don't have what it takes. You seem to come from a place that is the classic growth mindset. Absolutely, that's something that my mother has instilled in me and something that I thoroughly believe. I'm of the thought process, this is me personally, that my whole life, people have been trying to sell me short and tell me that, you know, I'm not good enough to do this, I'm not good enough to do that. And the way that I go about things is I just smile and I have these goals, these passions that drive me, these things I want to achieve. And man, you know, when your work ethic is unreasonable, I believe it's okay to have unreasonable expectations and unreasonable goals. Things like playing in the NFL, things like graduating with your undergrad and master's with a 4.0, things in the future I want to do like get my PhD in math from a top, top university, say a Princeton, a Stanford, a MIT, a Caltech, things like being a title chess player. These type of goals, these are things that aren't reasonable but these are things that I'm thoroughly attempting to achieve, and I'm going to give them everything I have. Now, in some ways, as you're speaking with such confidence, it almost sounds like, well, this, this stuff is all coming easy to you, but clearly it was not easy getting into the NFL. I don't know if it was tougher getting into the NFL than getting a master's in the particular area of math you focused on. Tell me about the times in both football and math where you were just knocked down and and through sheer will got up? Or has it all come easy to you? Okay. Uh, for math, I can't say that I have a great example of when I've been knocked down and had to try to get up. I think my math career has been a fairly smooth one. I do have a good story, and I'm sorry that I'm—, I'm giving you all these tangential stories. I do have a story about a struggle that me and my mother did face with me mathematically and academically when I was a young child. I, uh, when I was in first grade, believe it or not, the elementary school I went to wanted to hold me back. They, uh, they not only wanted to hold me back, but they wanted to put me in a special program for children who were slow. And what reason did they give you or your mother? Well, the reason they gave my mother was that because I wasn't paying attention in class, I wasn't interacting with the other students, I kept to myself, and I guess, you know, my drawings weren't very good, and I didn't really like to draw, and... I was pretty antisocial, and they thought something was wrong with me, and they thought I was mentally challenged. And thankfully, thank God for my mother, my mother tells them that I'm not mentally challenged, obviously, and they keep insisting that they hold me back. They keep insisting that I need to go into a special program for children like me, and my mother makes them give me 
a standardized test to test my intelligence. Needless to say, I kill the exam. I'm far, far off the charts mathematically. And now the school is talking about bumping me up two grades. And I'd say that is really the only academic roadblock I can think of to give you. You're listening to Wavemaker Conversations. I'm your host, Michael Shoulder. I'll continue my conversation with Baltimore Ravens offensive lineman and published mathematician John Urschel in a moment. First, Wavemaker Conversations welcomes Harry's.com. Harry's is all about delivering a superior shave without the sticker shock and without having to wait at the store for someone to unlock those clear plastic cases where the blades are often kept behind lock and key. When Harry's.com decided to advertise on my show, I looked them up and saw their tagline, Be the smartest man in the bathroom. That is the mission of my show. Wavemaker Conversations is trying to make you the smartest person in the bathroom in any room. So Harry's.com is doing it this way. The owners bought a razor factory in Germany that's been making high-end blades for nearly a century. They cut out the middleman, they ship what you need right to your door, and because you listen to Wavemaker Conversations, you can try Harry's out for less. If you go to harrys.com and enter my code, Wavemaker, at the checkout, you will get $5 off your first order of a starter set. That's right, with my code WAVEMAKER, you can get a month's worth of shaving for just $10. That's harrys.com, code WAVEMAKER, at checkout. You don't have to have a master's in mathematics like our guest does to figure out the value there. Back to the conversation. I was reading some profile of you from a few years ago where it's like, you know, how the kids were doing one thing you were reading. I think I think there was a reference to you reading The Art of War by... Uh, Sun Tzu? Yes, I, I do enjoy reading, although lately, and by lately I'd say the past three, four, five years, I've really gone away from reading fiction or even nonfiction works on given subjects because the majority of my reading is math-related. I, I thoroughly love reading math books, and this is what takes up a lot of my time. Maybe you can help me on this, because as I imagine two scenarios, one, trying to get past you on an offensive line to the quarterback and getting hit by you versus my elementary school daughter asking me, Dad, can you help me with my math homework? I fear the latter scenario more than I fear the former. <laughs> That's fair. I am afraid of math. I never got, got immersed in it. And so tell us adults and also kids who are finding it really challenging to, to get their arms around math, who it doesn't come to instantly. Is math a struggle or is it supposed to be a struggle? And when it is, how can you overcome those struggles in math? What's the best advice you can give? These are good questions. I think that just to start, I'm not I'm not thoroughly in love with how math is presented in schools these days. And I think that's part of the problem. This is just my opinion. I believe that math is shown to people as, say, an exercise in repetition. Here's the times tables. Just do these over and over and over again until you can do a hundred of them in a minute. 
while these things are these are things you need to learn and things you need to know, I think that we miss out on some of the beauty of math and some of its elegance. And I think that's why a lot of kids don't necessarily like math and a lot of kids grow to say that they aren't good at it. So let me interrupt for a second because we're going to get to football in a minute. But but I want to I want to ask you. You talk about the beauty and the elegance of math. For a general audience, give me an example based on. And I know you have a number of published papers, and 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 those cannot be explained necessarily for the general audience. But tell me what what beauty and elegance you see in math. Can you explain it? The best way I can put it is that there is true elegance and how all these things of mathematics come together, how it was formed, how these things work. Mathematics isn't something that just, you know, exists. We didn't, you know, dig up in the ground and find mathematics. This is a man-made phenomena to explain the natural world. This is something we've constructed. And out of what we've constructed, these beautiful things have all of a sudden come out. And I feel like some of the cool tricks or just some of the interesting things of math get lost on people. And just the fun of real problem solving gets lost on people when they get stuck into just this repetition ad nauseum. All right, so tell me about the fun of problem solving, and you've got that both on the football field and when, you, and when you're dealing with math problems. In order to have fun solving problems, you have to, just like when you're playing chess, I guess, you have to have a lot of patience, and am I right? You, you, have, to, you have to be willing to fail, to try and fail along the way until you get to the right answer, correct? Absolutely. I feel that... Problem solving is something that should be stressed more in math classes and less, I hate to say less of the material, but I personally believe somewhat less of the material and more about the process of thinking. And I don't think, you know, everybody who takes math in high school is going to, say, use geometry or trigonometry, but what they will use is the problem solving that they gain from those classes. And... What was the second part of that question? Well, it's just that that this idea of, you know, I mean, some kids, when they face a problem, if they can't get the solution quickly, yes. they have a tendency to give up. Yes. That's something that I feel is, that's a bad characteristic to have if you give up when, you know, things get tough. I feel that one of the best, best characteristics you can have as a person to help you in life is resiliency and perseverance. And I'm talking more than intelligence, more than athletic ability. Those two things, resilience and perseverance, will get you far in life, my personal opinion. All right, so now let's talk about resilience and perseverance in football because you were not preordained to have made the NFL. So tell me a little bit about your journey to the NFL and maybe what some of those the turning points were that got you to be able to play at the very highest level of football. It's been a long journey for me. In high school, I was a good player, but I wasn't highly recruited. I was offered a scholarship 
in January of my senior year, about a couple weeks before signing day by Penn State. I also had late offers from Stanford and Boston College. At Penn State, I believe we had 25 people in our recruiting class, and I was the second last person offered. I was the seventh offensive lineman offered. Let me ask you this, in terms of your self-conception, you were the second to last person offered it. Did you feel that that's where your playing level was at the time, or that they were just you know, not appreciating your talents? No, no, nothing of the sort. I just, I was grateful to have the opportunity to get there and work and show them what I could do. All you can ask for is an opportunity. So you were not even, they recruited you, were you so you were not guaranteed a position, a starting position at Penn State? Oh, absolutely not. It couldn't, that couldn't be any farther from what I was, say, offered or guaranteed. I was the seventh offensive lineman taken in that recruiting class. And as you know, and hopefully most of your listeners know, only five offensive linemen play in a game. So it wasn't looking too good for me. And I love all the Penn State fans to death, but I I still remember when I got offered, a lot of Penn State fans were looking and saying, why are we offering this 265-pound offensive tackle from Buffalo, New York? What are we thinking? And I couldn't fault them for that, but I just, when I got to Penn State, I just put my head down and got to work because I had to drive to succeed in football. And I was the seventh offensive lineman taken in that recruiting class, but I was the first one to play. What did you show them that got you from seven to one? I personally believe what I showed them was just an unreasonable work ethic and a dedication to be the best at what I do. I'm not the most athletic. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that, but I like to believe that I have one of the best work ethics. And that's gotten me a long way, and hopefully that will continue to push me to the places I want to go. So describe for me how that work ethic manifested itself at Penn State, and now how it's carrying over to the Baltimore Ravens, and what we should look for. Help us watch the game. It's not football season now, but when you guys get back on the field, where are we going to see the results of that work ethic? Well, for me, it's... It's stri- It's very striking when you say, look, I'm not the most athletic guy or talented guy athletically out there, but you were number one on the offensive line because of your work ethic. So that's, I really want to get an understanding of what you have to do when you are not the, the preordained number one because of your natural abilities. What is it that you have to do? And you call it what, an unreasonable work ethic? Yes. Which you obviously use positively, and I understand that. But, but tell, me what, tell me how that manifested itself. It manifested itself in a way that, let me say, I love football. I love math. And because these are my passions, those two things are all I wanted to do every single hour of every single day. And this is, to a, a large majority all I did during college, and I loved every second of it. My work ethic was able to be at that level because I truly loved what I was doing, and I didn't feel like I worked a single day 
in college, and I still feel like I haven't worked a single day in my life because I absolutely love the two things that I do, and I can't wait to wake up in the morning and do them. It reminds me, I had a conversation recently. I did a little pre-Super Bowl special. I spoke to Nick Bonaconte, great Hall of Fame linebacker from the Miami Dolphins in the early 70s. And he was a guy who sounded like he had as much determination as you have. And he was only five foot eleven. And when the pro recruits came to look at him, his coach told them, they, he, they, he basically told the recruits, this guy's not pro material, but they, the coach said it in this way. He will run through a brick wall, but he will leave a small hole. <laughs> that did not deter him. And he describes a similar feeling of being recruited, not by the NFL. He wasn't even taken in the NFL draft. In those days, there was the AFL. And he got in there, and I said, oh, you must have been relieved. He said, no, because when I got into the AFL, uh, I was not guaranteed a slot. And it wasn't until, I think, after the first game that the coach tapped him on the shoulder and he said, okay, you're going to start next game. And he never relinquished that job. Also a guy with an incredible work ethic. Um, But getting back onto the football field, here's what I'd love you to do. Because offensive, I don't watch a lot of football, but I've I've begun watching it more lately because of fantasy football. And I'm in this extended family league. And and it sort of, it skews what you root for, right? I, I don't know if you probably don't have time to play fantasy football, but it gives you a vested interest in just about every single game there is out there. But you can't pick an offensive lineman in your draft for fantasy football. And I think in some ways, you guys do get overlooked. We all know that if the quarterback is not getting sacked, it's because of you guys. But you are not our individual choices in fantasy football, and therefore a lot of people a lot, a lot of people are going to get to know you more through these articles you've just written and through your unique background than you know in terms of the general public than from your football playing. So tell me, for those of us who don't really understand the finer points of being an offensive lineman, what is your job description? Well, my job description, in a nutshell, protect the quarterback, protect the running back. Protect the quarterback when he has the ball, protect the running back when he has the ball. And offensive line play is very different than, say, being a wide receiver or a defensive end. It's not about the big plays. It's about doing your job consistently every single play of the game. Because if you miss just one play that could turn it around. If you just miss one play, the whole play is ruined. It takes five offensive linemen doing what they're supposed to and getting their job done for a play to go. If one guy isn't doing his job, the play is not going anywhere. And I guess there are no secrets on the offensive line. When something goes wrong, everyone knows who missed who missed the block. Oh, absolutely. So there's a lot of accountability to your teammates there. An offensive line has to really depend on each other and trust each other. There are a lot of plays that you guys have to memorize and a lot of calls. And it's funny because I'm watching my, uh, I mentioned my my young elementary school daughter, who's the only girl in her Little League division. This is the first year she's facing curveballs, different sport, but a lot more mental processing going on because the coach on third base is now relaying I can't tell you how many signals. I mean, I watch it and I laugh because there's no way I could remember it. You guys have a lot of plays to memorize and then the need to adjust on the fly, correct? Mm -hmm. 
you have to read defenses very well. Yes. And so tell me about that part of the job description so that I might be able to see the game a little differently next time I watch it. I think there's certainly a mental aspect to the game. You have to know your plays. You have to know what you're doing based off which front the defense is in. You should, if you're a good offensive lineman, be able to look at the defense and try to get some keys about what they might do post-snap. And then once the ball's snapped, you have to make decisions in split seconds about what is the defense doing, what are they showing me, what has my assignment now become because of what the defense has done. And then at the same time, be aggressive and do your assignment at a very aggressive, high level. As I'm speaking with you, you seem like a passionate guy. You have this, I love this phrase, the unreasonable work ethic. That's going to stick with me for a long time. But there's a line you have. You say, I play because I love the game. And here's here's the line. I love hitting people. Now, you don't seem like a bad guy, but it's just you love the contact Tell me about this love of hitting people. And if you love hitting people, you're getting hit pretty hard, too. And do you feel beaten up after a game? Absolutely. After a game, you know, I feel some wear and tear on my body. But this is something that I just thoroughly enjoy. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. You don't have to, you know clutch your purse a little tighter when you're around me. Actually you actually you do if you're on the football field with a purse. Oh yes. Then by all means you should run. <laughs> but <laughs> this is just something that I love to do. It's something that quite frankly I feel that I need to do. And it's just a way to get out this aggression that I have. And I think it's a healthy way to do it and I I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. You know what's incredible to me, though? I, I spoke to, in that Super Bowl special I told you about, I spoke to a, a former center, I think he was up from Oklahoma State, Became a, a very has become a very successful attorney, so very much like what I, we would expect you to do. You know, he's, he's got a post-football career. He never made it to the NFL, but he had a good college career. And he said it was so hard to study, to do academic work after the pounding he would take after every game. How are you able to do your math, or how were you able to in college after the poundings you would take? And even now, you're, you're, you're publishing articles in mathematical journals today. How do you do it after the pounding you take? That's, that's a tough question to answer in that I've never really thought about it, and I've never really had a problem with it. When I'm done with football for the day and I have some free time, you know, I've watched my film, I've taken care of everything I need to, it doesn't matter how exhausted I am, trust me, I can always get excited to do some math. And that's just how I am, and that's just because I love math so much. And I know earlier you asked me a question about my choice to leave math for a while and do football. We never got around to the question mainly because I just went off topic, my apologies, but I don't think I've ever left math. Math is still very much active for me. Believe me, I'm very active in the community, mathematically, and I want to continue to be throughout my professional career. You're listening to Wavemaker Conversations. I'm your host, Michael Shoulder. I'll continue my conversation with Baltimore Ravens offensive lineman and published mathematician John Urschel in a moment. 
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Back to the conversation. Is there some way, because, you know, as soon as I read your story, I said, man, there are a lot of kids out there who would get so inspired by you and who might love watching football. They might not be football players, but they may just see a con- some connections in, embodied in you that say, you know what, I'm going to give math a try, although, again, it's going to be difficult depending on how it's being taught in the class, and you've alerted us to that. Are you familiar with the Khan Institute? Yes, yes, I am. Have you ever done anything with them? Because I feel like I want to introduce you to Solomon Khan and get you guys working together because, you know, those videos that he produces that have become wildly popular and Bill Gates has endorsed them, they're, uh, they're using them in my kid's school now. Like, they'll, they'll look at a con video. Uh, uh, the kids will look at, the, at it at home, and then the math class is freed up to be much more creative and much more engaging. Uh, if, if you could do a con video, is there something in, in the geometry or, or any other mathematical aspect of football that you could create a lesson around? Absolutely. There's some areas of math that I'd love to give lessons in via video, and that area of mathematics that I do give lessons in just on an informal basis, just to try to get kids excited in math. Because I'm, I'm looking at some of your tweets. Just got this was from the other summer. Just got my teaching assignment for this fall. Very excited to teach Math 232, Integral Vector Calculus. You know, we could, obviously all of us non-math people could joke about you know, you know, good luck, good luck getting that through our heads. But, but is there some way for you to explain just what is the essence of of this specialty you have on 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 integral vector calculus? So that uh, that actually is not my specialty. That's not my research area, but that's what I was teaching, and that is just uh, it's part of Calc 3. And what we're doing is we're looking at calculus, but now we aren't just looking at, say, one dimension. We're looking at integrals in two dimensions. We're looking at integrals in three dimensions. We're looking at integrals on, say, manifolds, and we're just taking calculus to a higher level. And this vector calculus, this is the basis of a lot of physics and a lot of engineering. There's some really good things in there, and man, there are some fascinating results. Let me ask you a final question. So you talk about this, and and this is the phrase that keeps on coming back to me, your unreasonable work ethic. And, and People in business, I mean, that's what they're looking for. They don't necessarily care where you're at now in terms of your skill level, but if you have an incredible work ethic, you're going to get there. Sometimes an unreasonable work ethic can interfere with your family life. And right now you're you're young. You're what are you? Are you 23 or 24? 23. You're 23. Uh, I'm assuming you're not married. Not married. I am unattached. Unattached, okay. Yes. Oh, oh man, this is going to go. Now this is going to go viral. After this interview, that's it. Uh, do you have, given your unreasonable work ethic, are you unattached because you're just working so hard? And can you ever see balancing? I mean, you in in a sense have to tame that unreasonable work ethic to have some balance in your life. Or maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, you're not reading too much into it. I don't have balance in my life, and 
I don't have a girlfriend mainly because, you know, I'm focused on math, I'm focused on football, and I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about dating or, you know, social life. If, you know, if this happens for me, it happens, but at the same time, I'm not out looking. But I'll tell you this, when I do finally find someone and I settle down and I get married and I have children, I'm going to have to cut this back as much as it may hurt me deep down. This is something that I'll have to do because even though I do have all of these lofty goals, I'd say one of my top goals in my life is to be a fantastic father. This is something that deep down inside of me is very important and something that I take very seriously. And believe me when I say that when I have children, I am going to be the best father in the world. I'm going to be supportive of them and I'm going to be there for them through whatever they may go through. Well, John Urschel, offensive lineman for the Baltimore Ravens. I'll be looking at that offensive line. What number are you? 64. 64. Um, uh, your, your Twitter handle sort of says a lot, math meets football or math meets F-ball. Yes. Uh, you, call, you call yourself a professional mathlete, and now I know when I get the word that you're engaged to get married that that Twitter handle might change a little bit. What would the Twitter handle be once you're a father? Or should we not think that far ahead? I think it's math meets parent. That's that's what it's going to end up being. Or we can drop the math and we're just going to call it, you know, stay-at-home dad. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Math meets parent. So you think at some point football is going to go first before math. Math is going to be a lifelong endeavor. Oh, I think we can say that with fair certainty. Something tells me I won't be playing football when I'm 40, but I fully intend to be a mathematician the rest of my life. John Urschel, um, uh, again, offensive lineman for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, uh, 23 years old, math meets football. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your inspiring story. Uh, and and how you came to be and through your upbringing and uh, and your mother's compelling story, uh, which is really uh, something I'm going to share with my children. So thank you so much for joining us on Wavemaker Conversations. Thanks for having me. If you like what you've heard on this episode, you can subscribe to Wavemaker Conversations on iTunes, and you can always find this podcast on the new CBS podcasting platform, Play It. That's play.it. I'm your host, Michael Schulder. Thank you for listening.